Welcome to the Elite Level Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Elaine, and this is the podcast where we explore how elite level performers think, act, and operate. As always, we've got an absolute superstar of a guest here today. Samuel, it's great to see you, my man. Pleasure to be here, man. Pleasure to be here, bro. Blessings on blessings. So, Samuel, for those out there who don't know who you are, in two minutes or less, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and some of your career highlights? Oh, wow. Okay, so Samuel Brooksworth grew up in South East London, well, and lived in Manchester as well. Done sales most of my career, so since, since the age of 17, right away till now. But run a business called all, um, Remotely. So Remotely is a tech-led outsourcing organization where we hire staff members or graduates in Africa to work remotely for organizations around the world. So um began at one member of staff just over a year ago, now at close to 70, working in 10 plus countries and um, working with over 100 organizations right now. So that in a nutshell, that's me. I think we need to say that louder for the people at the back to, to grow an organization at that pace is truly outstanding. But we'll definitely get into the weeds of that. But before we do it, you said loudly and proudly that you are a salesperson, right? You're a salesperson at your core. So I want to go back a little bit so we can understand a bit more about your background. Yeah. Tell us how you first got into sales in your first few years in a role like that. Yeah. So um, I began sales at quite a young age. And the reason I initially got into sales is because I just needed money, as most of us do. So it started with door-to-door sales, street fundraising, just the, the the grassroots sales, I like to call it. And that taught me a massive amount of sales. And as you can imagine, the experiences you go through at that level where you're being abused on the streets, being spat at, being sworn at, it built a real resilience in me. And to be completely honest, I found that I really liked it. I liked having people come up to me and initially having this idea of I'm trying to sell them something or just a hard no to swaying them into sponsoring charities or into purchasing the products and services that I was offering. And um, that just, I don't know, instilled a real love for sales in me, which just saw me progress within different organizations. So I've gone from uh, car sales, insurance, I don't know, material handling solutions from pallet trucks to forklift trucks, I don't know, media sales. I, I've done quite a lot of sales in different industries. So um, yeah, I'd say I'm, I'm, I'm well-rounded wow. in it, sales, yeah. I often say that starting out your sales career in, in something that's high volume, high activity, where you've got to get used to rejection, in many cases is just the best way to start. Because when you look at how challenging these careers can be over time, having that inbuilt resiliency and building your your emotional intelligence, things of that nature early can be a massive, massive step forward for you, especially later in your career. Curious to know how much of that you feel has been instrumental in how your career has panned out over the 10, 15 plus years that have followed. It's what shaped my career, shaped me as a person massively because um, all the experiences I've had have just taught me how to mainly relate with people and understand people. I think what's enabled me to have such a I would say a successful sales career has been my ability to understand people which is what I've gained through all the different roles I've done and working with such different people it does play a part that um, my upbringing has played a part in that sorry in the fact that I've grown up in so many different parts of the country it's allowed me to grow up with different people in different backgrounds cultures understanding and seeing the way they see life has played a massive part in my sales career but then playing or working in different sales organizations and different industries has then just massively opened my eyes in regards to how people see things, how people like things to be presented to them, how people um, like to be sold to. And 
yeah, it's played a huge part in my sales career. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. When you look back at that Samuel with all of the wisdom and the knowledge that you have now, what do you think you did really well, maybe just naturally or based on your, your talent and your flair at that time? But equally, if you were talking to that same person, what are the things where you, you think, actually, if I was starting my career again, I could have done these things better. I could have done these things differently to set me up for longer term sustainable success. Mm. To be completely honest, I don't think I would have done anything differently. I think looking back, I was an extremely tenacious person and I just never took no as an answer. Never. I was always given, whether it was with products or services, I would always find a way to try and get the individual or groups of individuals to see things from a different perspective or understand why they were saying no in order to present things in a different way. In regards to my career, if I was always told, no, I can't progress here or I can't do that, I'd always ensure that I, I got there and I did it. So I was just an extreme, looking back, I, I I can't understand why I was so, maybe just the fact that I felt as though I needed to prove a point or prove people wrong. I was always told from a very young age, especially in high school. So I was born in South East London and moved to a small town called Berry when I was about 11, 12 years old. So growing up in Berry, a school of about a thousand kids and myself, my twin brother were two or five black kids in the school. So um, I was always told by a lot of my teachers that I would never amount to anything. I would never do anything. And first of all, I was a very, very polite kid. <laughs> I wasn't troublesome. Um, I wasn't naughty. Me and Andrew were very like, we're just very calm, cool kids. I never understood why they were always telling me and my twin brother, we couldn't do this, we couldn't do that, would amount to anything. I never got it. So because I was always being told that, I was always like, you know what, I'm going to prove you wrong. So um ended up in year 11, I ended up being like the school, um, equivalent to school, like um, head boy, head girl. We had like games captains. So I ended up being a school games captain, the, um, senior prefect. And for me, that was like, me, myself and my twin brother actually, because they couldn't separate us in regards to our uh, achievements. For the first time, they gave both of us the school games captains. So two people getting, getting that one position. And for me, it was like, I told you I'd do it. I told you. And I, it's always that thing of wanting to prove a point and prove people wrong. So, yeah. I wish podcasts could translate energy because as you were telling that story, I could I could feel the passion. I could feel the energy. I felt like I was in the moment with you. And it, it really says a lot. I remember I was watching a video not too long ago by someone called Dan Penner. And one of the things that he mentioned was that the greatest gift that you can give to a child is actually them going through hardship at a young age. And hardship comes in many different forms. I think a lot of us automatically think of poverty, but in the story that you spoke about, what I heard was just that chip on your shoulder mentality. As you said, you wouldn't be denied. A saying that my mother always has is just always finding a way to win. And it sounds like you really embodied that at that early age. So if you were giving advice to any sales professional or really anyone who's listening to the podcast right now, as they're starting, you know, a little bit earlier in their career, what could you tell them or advise them as it relates to the mentality to go out there and start to set themselves up for early success? All the no's you're being given are just a step closer to that yes. And I think it's something that we're very aware of in sales, sales people, we hear it regularly. But when you're being given the no's in that moment, they are huge knocks and they're huge confidence knocks at times where you're on a phone call, you're spoke to so badly on that call that you don't want to jump on the next call where you're on the shop floor or sales floor and you've been told something so damaging that every part of you just wants to go and sit down. But I was like, you know what? 
it's that ability just to ignore or wipe off out of your memory what just happened and keep going as if it never did. It's a hard thing to master, but it's so important because once you've jumped off that call, that call's done. Don't allow that one minute, two minute, three minute conversation to affect the rest of your eight, 10 hour day. It's done. Wipe it off. Go again. That no's gone. It's a step closer to the yes. And that's what I kind of really mastered quite young. And it just took me through my career to the point where I'd receive a no. And you'd honestly think that the last call I had was the best call I had, even though it was really bad. I was like, you know what? It's good. Keep it going. And once you're able to master that, it helps you massively throughout your career. It's great insights. And it's, uh, I couldn't agree with you anymore on that particular point. Let's fast forward a little bit now, Samuel, to your role when you were at The Guardian, right, as an account director. And I suspect this was when you took a lot of this natural flair, this energy, this talent, and you, you probably had to bring a little bit more science into the, the way that you were working. Mm-hmm. Just help us unpack what that experience was like, taking that step up into a role with a bit more responsibility and remit. Yeah, so um, at The Guardian, it was, um, I'd come into The Guardian off the back of running a um, startup accelerator called Build Master. So having ran a not-for-profit for about a year or two, more three years actually, it was strange coming back into a working environment. But the reason I came into the working environment is because I saw myself progressing very quickly based off my um, background, my understanding of sales, and obviously what I was discussed during the interview was discussed at interview stages. So coming into the organization, it was beautiful. The culture I encountered, the people I worked with, it always all begins well. And I enjoyed it a lot. I remember during the right, my first week, I was given the target of doing £25,000 for my first three months. Now tell that to any real salesperson, they'll be like, listen, that's nothing. <laughs> I need to do a lot more than that. And I remember after my first three, four months, I ended up doing £300,000. And um, my thing was that if I was always given a target, it was always to surpass that, not just surpass, but to blitz it. Because I just wanted to always do well. I always wanted to be at the top. If I was told to do 10 calls, I'd do want to do 50. If I was told to do a certain amount of minutes on calls. I always wanted to surpass that to ensure that not, not, I never saw it as at that time competing with other people. What can I do? How can I beat myself? How can I beat around my records? How can I do better than what I even expect myself to do? So it was a great experience. Um, and yeah, if I could go back and do things differently again, I don't think I would because I enjoyed my time there. Obviously there are always things which you'd you'd wish worked out better in regards to your progression and which probably works out better for me now because if not for that I wouldn't be where I am now. But um yeah. We'll come back on to that. I, I wanna spend a bit of time on the early success you had and and the consistent success that you had while at that organization you spoke about bringing in, you know, multi hundreds of thousands of pounds, maybe it even went into seven figures and more. What was really behind that level of success? And and I'm curious because earlier in your career, you spoke about tenacity, passion, drive, chip on your shoulder. That really drove you forward to, you know, gaining some phenomenal results. Would you say it was those same ingredients that were the, the core pillar behind your latter success when you're now doing multi six figures in sales transactions? Or did you find you had to up your game in a number of other areas that were maybe less of a focal point early in your career? Very much my previous experiences, which has built me to that point. 
And to be completely honest, a lot of the roles I've done previously were a lot more hardcore sales. The truth is when you're at The Guardian, the brand pretty much sells it for you. And it's a case of you adding your expertise, adding your knowledge, because at the end of the day, you still need to persuade people to part ways of their cash. But um, a lot of the sales I've done before were very, very like hardcore sales. Like, I mean, having to go onto um, yards with like very much like guys and pitching to them forklift trucks. Like they are hard sales, man. So once you've done that, nothing else can really like be much harder. So um, pretty much the experience side kind of gained earlier on in my career really built me to that level. And then whilst I was there, I was just kind of understanding my new environment, seeing what the best salespeople were doing, understanding their strategies, seeing how they kind of went about things, tweaking the way I did things, and then weaving it into my new strategy and going from there. That's awesome. I'm completely with you in the sense that really, sometimes I say I have this mantra of just let's simplify sales because there's at times this overcomplication that is added to the the core principles that, you know, when we talk about building trust, when we talk about operating a, a certain process and being able to understand why you need to work through certain sales stages, why you need to drive a certain process. We don't always have to overcomplicate these things, but in many cases we do. And what I love about really both of our stories is that they started in, you know, high volume, high rejection type of environments, hardened environments in many cases, but that has remained for the, the entirety of our careers being a staple part of the success that we've had longer term. Yes, we've had to add, you know, certain new bits to our game, which is natural, but it's important for anyone out there listening to this to, to retain that hunger, that true desire, because when you've got a will to win, you're unstoppable, That's right? It. If you've got a will to win, you'll run through walls and you'll just ultimately make it happen. I want to talk about what you mentioned in terms of the progression piece, because especially having both been in sales careers for quite an extended period of time, and of course, you've now moved on to being a phenomenal CEO and founder. Help us understand what some of your experiences were like when you were maybe knocking on the glass ceiling as they, as they talk about I know how talented you are, right? I've seen and known you for, for a very long time and I've seen you just have outstanding talent. What were your experiences like when you were trying to progress in the world of corporate? Just walk us through some of that. It's a strange discussion because growing up, I was always told you just need to work 10 times harder than everybody else. Work hard, you'll get what um, is owed to you. Um, keep going, all these things that, black parents tend to tell their children and I'll be honest when I was very young I was like why do I need to work 10 times harder than everybody else why can't I just work as hard as everybody else and I never really understood it up until I moved to Berry. moving to Berry is the first time I realized I was black <laughs> growing up in London you don't really see it or know it because it's so multicultural everyone just treats everybody the same you're just like a kid growing up and growing to Berry, I was always, I, I initially always used to wonder, why am I being treated differently to everybody else? Why am I being picked on? Why are the teachers always trying to tell me I can't do certain things when I clearly am more than a typical example? I was in my maths GCSEs back in the day, obviously. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit older than how they do the current maths GCSEs uh, marking system. There were sets and I was really good at maths growing up, always been very good at maths. And they put me in like the set below the top set so I couldn't achieve 
an A. And I was like, but I'm clearly more competent than everybody in this class. Like, no, you can't be in that class. You need to be in a class just a bit lower for your, you know, your capabilities. I was like, why? Just put me in a top set so I can get an A star. And they wouldn't. They would not put me in that set. Lo and behold, I was capped at a B. Obviously, I got a B, a very high B. And I was like, you've stopped me from getting something that I can achieve. But because you didn't believe I could do it or just didn't want me to do it, you've put me in a lower set. And I found that very much throughout my career where um, you'd go into certain organizations and you'd find that no matter how good you were, you just weren't able to break into certain teams or in certain positions. I'm very diplomatic with the way in which I see things because I find that people tend to employ people who act, think and look like them. People tend to want people in their teams who are very similar to a culture they feel they've built because they feel it's easier to work with these groups of people which I completely understand. But the problem with that is that when you are in an organization where you're selling products or services that are catered to masses or different demographics of people, it's important your management teams reflect that same difference that's, that's in your customer base. Because if you have a management team of, let's say, predominantly white males, but your clientele base is a very wide demographic for people, you find that that management team may not be able to relate or understand the different nuances that are required to be seen within the customer base. But when you have a more diverse team, you're then able to cater to the different needs of not just your customers, but then your staff members as well. And that's where a lot of organizations seem to miss the trick. And again, I, I do understand why people hire certain people into their teams and try and build a certain culture in their teams so that they feel as though they can get the optimum success levels and not have as much conflict and so on and so forth. But um, it is required because then when you have different lines of thoughts and different types of abilities, you're able to produce different kind of results. And unfortunately for me, that's what I encountered. And I just wasn't able to break into that despite the fact that I knew. And I think most of people around me knew I had capabilities of doing that which is what I believe I'm showing now but um, it worked out well for me so I can't complain too much (laughs) absolutely and we're we're certainly going to celebrate a lot of that success and that story I can personally relate to uh, almost in a carbon copy format and I, I think there's a few too many friends and peers that I have that can equally relate to that story in in many regards because to your point that same talking point of needing to just be better needing to strive to be the best being able to then come out and actually have the accolades to validate being the best but yet still you continue to knock on that door and 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 no one answers and so the thing that i truly love about your story and i have a lot of admiration for you uh, for samuel is the fact that you were bold enough to say i'm going to take my destiny into my own hands And that's a very difficult thing to do when you have responsibilities, family to look after and more. It takes a lot of character to be able to say enough's enough, right? If I can't get that promotion, I'm going to promote myself. If I can't get that pay rise, I'm going to find a way to get myself that pay rise. So I take my hat off to you for doing that. Now let's start to talk about that transition, right? There was a moment where you said enough is enough. 
I'm going to do exactly what I just referenced here. Walk us into that very moment where that decision was made and where you said, I'm going to go and find a way to set up my own organization. So um, a lot happened during that time period. So first of all, I used to go back and forth from Ghana every year with, with, with my wife and going back to Ghana every year during the Christmas period, I saw how many unemployed graduates there were in Ghana. But these graduates were overly skilled and overly qualified. And for me, it didn't make sense because I'd come back to the UK and I'd see people who weren't as skilled and weren't as qualified, but were working. And I was like, this doesn't seem fair. And then obviously I then had myself in the UK where I was becoming very frustrated in my role because again, I knew my capabilities and I'm a very ambitious person. So when I feel as though I'm not being given, I remember there were certain promotion opportunities that were given to me and my numbers were great. I felt as though I was doing fantastically well, always given good approvals during my Mandarin meetings. Everything was indicating towards me being at least given opportunity to present myself in or interview for these higher positions. But I'd not even passed the first stage interviews. And then the people who would were individuals who were not doing anywhere near the same numbers that I was doing. And I was like, do I want to stay here and keep having to try and prove myself? Or do I want to go to an environment where I know that I am being recognized for the work I'm actually doing and being put into positions that I should be in. And then um, something else happened further down the line where um, I submitted a proposal um, within the organization and it got taken and implemented within the organization without there being ever any acknowledgement as to me creating or passing it on. And I think that for me was a point where I was like, you know what, it's time for me to start transitioning. So once that happened in combination with the pandemic and working from home and then a lot of people were not made to work for periods of time. A lot of things were happening during that period that's made me think in a lot of depth. Obviously, I have a young family. What do I want to do moving forward? What kind of impact do I want to have on the world? How do, I, how do I want to be seen? What kind of change do I want to create? And that's when Remotely came about. Um, and I thought, you know what, why not marry these two ideas? Why not get these overly skilled and talented young graduates working remotely for organizations around the world? Now, when I first had the idea and I spoke to a lot of my clients and people who I've been working with for years, a lot of the objections that kept coming up were English competence, the idea of working with people from West Africa, fraud. And I never saw these as objections. I was like, wow, I didn't think people saw West Africans in this light. Maybe it was me being slightly ignorant. And I was like, these are things that I need to work around getting changed to for months, just worked on around a lot of these objections, created a website, started building a team out, a team that I knew were capable of handling the journey I was about to embark on. Got to December of that year, took voluntary redundancy, decided that I'm going to leave the role. That was accepted, left, and then January 2021, I was a free man. <laughs> so I um, pretty much moved to Ghana. So it was, it was very much back and forth to try and set up the team in Ghana, come back to the UK to ensure that things were happening. Our head office is in the UK, so ensuring that things were happening on both sides. And the young graduates in Ghana were doing so well, they were pretty much selling themselves. They were working so well within organisations they're working in that organisations were telling other organisations about the work they were doing. And we just started growing like wild, wild, wildfire. We didn't do any marketing or advertising. We started growing our month, month on month recurring 
revenue just started skyrocketing. And then it just required me just to be more hands on in the business. I just disappear for months and then just going back and forth, trying to handle different things that happened in startups, um, trying to handle that growth, moved us into our first office space in Ghana, had to quickly move again to a bigger office space. Now we have to move again where we are currently now. Obviously the people issues that come in, in that hiring managers to handle these teams, different departments. It's been a fast and intense journey, but it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. So, yeah. It's an absolutely, it's a truly remarkable story because you said in that January 2021, right? And we're not a million miles on from that day already. And you're talking about teams and managers and multiple office moves is something really special that you guys are doing over there. So as you reflect back on the beginning and those early days what adjustments did you have to make from being top tier sales professional to CEO and leader? I know you had founded a company before, but I don't believe anything on this kind of scale or with this type of pace. So what adjustments did you have to make to really fulfill these new shoes as a, a top tier CEO now? There is a slight mentality shift because when you're a salesperson, it's very much yourself targets, trying to beat people, just going all out to win but um, in regards to becoming a chief executive officer, it's my mentality or my vision or the way I am hasn't changed much because I've always been a people's person. I've always wanted people around me to win, always been trying to lead teams to accomplish the best. And I think it allowed me to really show my all my skill sets and allow people to really see what I could do. And building teams is the most important, the hardest part because those initial hires are key to the success of the businesses. And building the initial team was so key, especially in Ghana, where the culture and the environment and the mindset of working in Ghana is very different to how it's in the UK. So the most important part for me was building a really good company culture. That was key. So over the last year, I've worked really hard on building a culture in Ghana. And the culture I've built or the culture that's now in the organization, honestly, is what I wanted to, to have when I was an employee. and when I walk into the office space and I see how the staff are, the environment they have, how they're able just to chill, like our average age in office space is probably no more than the average age, probably no more than 25, 24, 25. Like the average age organization is very young, if probably less than that, 23, 24. And it's all young people doing exceptionally well, showing that they can do it and just beating all the odds. And for me, it's it's been... Amazing seeing individuals join the business who first came in, who were somewhat shy or, you know, didn't think they had the abilities to work at that level. Now seeing them within 2000 plus organizations, leading, managing teams, departments, it's just, I can't describe the impact we've seen in Ghana, but also with the organization around the world has been phenomenal. Sales is very important, but sales for me is still the lifeblood of any business. I'm a very old school in regards to organizations, the business, how they should run and how they grow. So sales is key and hiring and a sales team and hiring a sales and putting a sales strategy in place. I had to ensure that I had that same doggish mentality from back in the day. Hardcore. We need to hit these numbers. We need to do this. We need to do that. But in regards to the team, I didn't have to transition in regards to my empathy and how I work with people and how I handle people. So it's just, it just allowed me to show the other skill sets I have, but the other side of me still hasn't gone. I'm still as tenacious as ever. 
It's amazing. I, I love that mantra. Sales is always the lifeblood of business. I'm sure we can continue to campaign that for many, many years to come. Sami, one of the things that fascinates me about what you've been able to achieve is that most startups fail. And in many cases, they fail pretty quickly, right? A lot of them don't even get out of first gear. I remember even just starting this podcast and I can't remember the exact statistic, but I was told that I believe most people stop within their seventh or eighth episode. And then there's another mass percentage that stop within 15. And I said, if I'm doing this, I'm doing this, right? Again, it comes back to mentality. Why did Remotely not fail in your view? Because I wouldn't let it. Like, I wouldn't let it. There were months where we were close. And a lot of people don't see what happens behind the scenes. Um, Co-founder conflicts, um, months where you're just scraping to pay staff, clients behind the scenes just being absolute nightmares and situations. Staff members just being staff members at times. And a lot of people don't see things that happen behind the scenes. And they shouldn't. But then I just wouldn't let it fail. And I'd ensure that I worked. Not that you have to, I don't want to have, just have this mentality you have to work 24 seven. No, because it's important you rest <laughs> or, your body, or your body will rest for you. But I just wouldn't let it. And I'd go all around the clock just ensuring that every single aspect of the organization worked. And my, you have to have such attention to detail to the minute things, but it's the minute thing that will end up growing and becoming a huge problem. And just being able to see things and handle situations and handle and work with people, understand why people act in a certain way, understand why they've reacted the way they have to the situation, understand why they feel the way they feel, understand how to manage and handle that situation, seeing how people's insecurities come out in certain situations, seeing how to help people progress the way they want to progress, putting people in their place when need be, because then it, you can't have a culture where everyone feels as though they're the big boss. And it's, it's, it's just really understanding people and that all came from sales. Because in sales, when you're working or talking to people, if you can fully understand somebody in a very short space of time, which top sales people do, understand why they're saying no, why they're saying this, or understand what they need and trying to create a narrative or an answer or a solution for their understanding then you're able to get them to see things from your perspective or get them to or understand how to move them and that all came into play when I was running whilst running remotely that understanding understanding people and having empathy towards people and that's what's allowed the organization to grow to the level it's grown to yes you have to be very cutthroat at times as well if people need to go, they need to go to allow the business to grow. And not everyone will understand all like decisions you make. And it, it's just a part of business. But I just wouldn't let the business fail. And because of the t- decisions I had to take, the way in which we've had to grow the business, some of the people who were there from the beginning are no longer with us now. And it's what's needed in order to let the organization get to where it needs to get to now. And if those individuals had stayed or the decisions weren't taken that, it, that were taken at the time, we honestly wouldn't be where we are with the successes we have now. So yeah blessings on blessings how do you take things to the next level now sam you've had astronomical growth in a pretty short period of time you've spoken about having to let certain people go and 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 make some tough decisions to make sure that you can continue to scale this organization how do you take things to the next level next we're we're actually in the middle of a seed round as i was saying to you last time so um because of the numbers we're doing now 
we haven't we have a lot of interest from investors and individuals who want to invest in the organization and it's all for me it's not so much so just gaining or getting the money because we've been a profitable business from month one so now it's a case of us getting the right level of investment involved in the business to um scale it and that's what's next once we're able to get the raise the seed round we're looking to raise and pump that millions into the business we'll be gone so um that's the next step that's where we can take to another level and obviously then hires getting the right people into the teams um hires is such a, a key thing for me because if you're able to get the right people into organization then your organization's owners get as the people you hire and finding and getting those people on board and getting to buy into your vision is so important so once i'm able to do that then i'm sure you'll see remotely going to another level hopefully soon and i can't wait i can't wait to see that it's a really interesting point when you just you've really doubled down on the importance of people and we can't really underemphasize that you know businesses are ultimately people and you know you hear a lot of stories about making one wrong hire and the broader impact that that has on the organization and one of the big takeaways here that i'm hearing from you is just the importance of making sure that you bring on the right talent people that buy into the vision and the mission people that are really centered around that same uniform way of going out to market in a value centric way I think you've done a great job in making sure that that's been a staple part of the organization. When you start to to look ahead and and even think about your own drive and your own personal ambitions, especially compared to maybe what they were a few years prior, what's really driving you as an individual at this particular stage, Samuel, as you now start to look ahead? Impact. That's the main thing that drives me. If you don't have a why as to why you do things, you find yourself stopping quite early on because you get to or you encounter difficulties and you have no reason as to why to carry on. And my why, I don't know why, just one day I woke up with a massive passion to want to increase employment on the continent. And it's something that just burns within me every single day. When you look at the numbers on the continent, there are over a billion, 1.3 plus billion people on the continent on Africa. This is Africa's most educated generation. And according to the most recent statistics, of the people on the continent aged between 15 to 35, there are over 150 plus million of those who are out of employment. Those numbers make no sense. And unless there are organizations, and again, this, this is the youngest continent in the world, the fastest growing continent in the world. So unless there are solutions coming into the continent, these numbers are only going to get worse. And for me, I just wanted to be part of the solution to try and figure out what we can do to try and ensure that these young people are working when I'm in Ghana and when I'm working with remotely and we're one of the things that we always talk about in our senior management meetings, I never talk about numbers. I talk about that with the sales department, the team. I will never talk about numbers in our senior management meetings. We're always impact driven. If we're impact driven and we're ensuring that we're doing all the things in which we set out to do as an organization, the numbers will follow and they do follow. But our main aim is to get more people into employment. That's it. And I always say to people, we have what I call a land and expand strategy. So if we get one person into an organization and they just do a good job, that's the sales. The organization will see how good this individual is. And it happens many a time. And they'll hire one, two, three, four, five people around them. I have not had to get a sales, hire a sales person, then go and tell them to hire five more people. That person just being good at their job has done the sales for us. And that's the impact side I'm talking about because then I'm focused more on the individual 
them working, them enjoying themselves, them growing as an individual. And in them doing that, they're showing the organization they're working within how great they are. And that in itself is selling them to the organization and remotely to them as well. And also the benefits of remotely is that, again, if you hire a staff member from remotely, I, I, I naturally go into sales pitches. Let, 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 let me stop, Alex. Let me stop. <laughs> let me stop. Well, no, impact. Impact is the main thing. Impact is the main thing. And hopefully whilst they work with organizations, organizations are able to see how great they are and they're able to get more staff members. But impact is what drives me on a day-to-day basis. It's powerful. Very, very powerful. Too often we hear the, the same types of things, right? In terms of just business growth and numbers and metrics and things surrounding that. That word impact is powerful in, in many, many different ways. And as you talk about that, it really feeds on in my mind, just that term legacy as well, right? You know, we'll all not be here one day. And I think the work that you're doing leaves a lasting legacy, which will impact generations to come. And there's something just really special about that when you just think about it from a, a vision and a, and a mission standpoint. Another point I wanted to cover, just that piggybacks off the back of all of this, is just talking a bit about the talent development side of of, of the organization, because earlier in this podcast, we spoke about really diversity and inclusion, right? And being able to understand a bit more about the fact that organizations should be aware that truly embodying a diverse and inclusive team culture, not only at one level, but also at more senior management levels within their organization really can drive true differentiation, right? And actual meaningful results. So for Remotely, I know that you have a a very diverse organization and a very diverse team. What has that meant for you in terms of the results that you've seen at the back end and also in terms of the diversity of thought and the speed in which you've been able to operate? Yeah, it's been key. So um, getting a diverse team, ensuring that, you know what, I'll give one example. I remember when we first started in the first few months, I was in a room and I looked around and I realized that my whole management team was just full of just guys. And I was like, this needs to change. Like, we can't just be a group of guys in the room <laughs> talking about the future of the business and how things should work because it's not diverse enough. We don't understand the different things that are required. So I made a mission of mine to ensure that in the next six months, the team were at least 50-50, 50% women and 50% men. And lo and behold, over a year later, over six months later, sorry, that is exactly what's happened. Our management team is majority women now and the business is majority women. And through that, we've seen the different lines of thought and the different solutions that are brought to situations we encounter have been amazing now. And we've seen growth in that. Um, so diversity is key, but most importantly is the training session that goes into that, investing in our talent. What we do is that we, number one, we partner with top organizations and universities, sorry, across the continent, mainly in Ghana, to ensure that we're getting top level talents. So we tap into their alumni networks to ensure that we're getting really good people. But once we get them on board, we're then training them because if we don't invest in them and train them and get them to understand what's required from them in these different roles, they won't be up to the level that's required. And that investment in them is so key because again our organization's only as good as our people and if they're really good and they're really we've invested in them a lot and they're really knowledgeable and they're up to the level that they're required to be at then they won't be given the level of service that's required from us as well so we invest them heavily and we ensure that diversity is one of the main mantras of the organization 
living and breathing everything that you you preached and had in your heart and had in your mind earlier in your career is truly phenomenal to see that. I just have a last couple of questions for you. When you look at the team that you have, especially the the management team, sometimes one of the challenges for organizations is is having that management team be an extension of you in many ways in terms of the passion that they have, the way that they interact with the remainder of the team. What can you tell listeners who are out there, maybe early stage building their own organizations about how they can really make sure that their leadership team also continue to carry and campaign that message and really the values that are really core to your organization? So what I did very early on with Remotely is that I created eight core values in organization, a vision and a mission statement. So not just I created them for sake of creating them so that we're on the wall and everyone can see this is what we believe in. I'd hammer it in every single blessed day. I come into the office sometimes and I literally have my piece of paper and I'd be like, value number three. And people are like, what is wrong with this guy? Value number five, who can answer you? And I'd keep doing that until people would answer it straight away. And initially a lot of people thought I was just being very like, I don't know, they thought I was being a bit too pedantic or why is he doing that? Why is he kind of always asking about values? Why is he always getting us to repeat the vision and mission statements? I wanted it to be a part of their core. I wanted us to live and breathe what we were about. It was one day, 20, 30, 40 years, I may not be around or running remotely, but I want those core values to be a part of the organization. The fact that um, our first values being um, very proactive, another values um, giving back, another value um, is caring, be honesty, integrity. I want these values to be core in the organization. So because I kept going over these values, it now becomes a part of the business. It becomes a part of our fabric. If anyone does anything outside of the values, but that's not what we stand for. Our vision, our mission hasn't changed. Our mission is to try and get 1 million young people into employment on the continent of Africa. Once you set that kind of a mission in your organization, no one's deviating from that. Everyone knows, you know what? We're at 70 now. We need to keep doing more. We need to keep doing more. So no one will stay still. When we get to 2000, no one's going to be like, oh, you know, we're, big, we're okay now. No, because that's not the mission. The mission wasn't get to 2,000, mission to get to a million, keep going. So we've deliberately made our mission huge, our vision huge, our values very, very core to the business. So I'd say that, make sure you have really good core values in the organization, that you're constantly hammering them into people. So even when you're not around, people are still living and breathing by those values and have really ambitious and lofty visions and missions so that your, your organization is always chasing something that may seem unattainable, but if you are to ever hit or even hit half that mission, you've done a phenomenal job. It's really, really compelling stuff. Really compelling stuff. I believe through all of this and and to anyone listening to this, I'm sure you've inspired at least one other person to think, I want to go and start up my own thing. I want to go and also leave some impact out there in the world. What would your best piece of advice be to someone who wants, maybe even they have a side hustle today or they're thinking of starting a side hustle or actually bigger than that, they've said, you know what, I've had enough. I want to go out there and be a master of my own destiny. What would your best piece of advice be to that person out there right now? Best piece of advice, build what you're building and build it well. One thing I actually advise against is just jumping headfirst into things without really thinking through things. Bills still need to be paid very practically still these things that need to be done. If you've got families, like you can't just jump into something and just be like, oh, I'm, I'm doing it. Be very strategic about how you go about things. And it's something a lot of people don't talk enough about. I've always been very strategic of how I built remotely, ensured that I've always had enough money to live off not being paid 
for eight months. These are things you need to think about. Having enough money to make sure that mortgage has been paid, kids' school fees, everything's just sorted because that's not on your mind as you're trying to grow a business. Ensuring that um, you've done enough research into the organization you're looking to build. A lot of people say, I've got a great idea. Ideas are always amazing, but then are you able to execute the idea well? And that's where sales, again, I preach sales all the time. There are many organizations who have come up and in and around what we've built. And a lot of organizations have helped build what we similar organizations to what I've built. Because again, with the vision I have, a lot of people is that like, why do you help other organizations that are similar to yours? With the vision we have, I can't employ 150 billion people on the continent. So if other organizations are being built like mine, it'll help them. It'll help get a lot more people to into employment. But sales, you can have a great idea, but if no one's buying, or, buying your products or services, so what sales strategies do you have in place? How do you intend to get your service and products in front of people? Really plan things through and structure things well. Finance, marketing, business strategy. Understand the legal aspects of the business. Look through things and plan things. Don't just one day, oh, I'm quit my job, I'm starting. No, no, no. Have you structured and planned things? Do you have enough money to ensure that you're going to be able to survive once you've kind of jumped into it? Once all these things are sorted, then start to structure and plan well and then go out and do it. Build and master, right? <laughs> Absolutely phenomenal story. Tammy, I, I want to just say as we round off here that, you know, you've been both a, a true inspiration, not only to me, but I believe many, many other people out there. And it's a real honor to be able to share your story. I just want to say that I'm really proud of everything that you've achieved. You're a massive inspiration, as I say, not only to me and the, the impact and legacy that you're leaving on this world it is something that's just truly remarkable. And so I'm personally just so excited to see what you go on to achieve and, of course, supporting you every step of the way. So thanks a lot for coming down. To anyone that's either watching or listening on any of the podcasting platforms, if you gained even one piece of value from listening to this episode, please be sure to smash that like button, comment, share and subscribe. And again, if you're listening on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify, a five-star review would be greatly appreciated. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you on the next one.